Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, I will be breaking down episode three of Better Call Saul, season six, Rock and a Hard Place. And indeed, we are between a rock and a hard place with some of our characters this week. Before that, I have a conversation with Sona, digging deeper into last week's episodes one and two, getting her reaction to those episodes. And that's about the first 20 minutes of this episode. So if you haven't caught up on episode three, feel free to listen to those. No spoilers for episode three until we get past that initial conversation. The usual calls to action, make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available. If you'd like to support the show, recommend it to friends and family who might appreciate the conversation. And check out our backlog for other coverage you might enjoy, such as last season's succession recaps, our recaps that just wrapped up recently around this excellent first season of Severance. We are also currently covering Moon Knight, which is wrapping up in just a couple of weeks. And also stay tuned for later this week. There is just so many things out there. So many things. Barry has just come back for season three. It had an excellent episode this week. Slow Horses on Apple TV will be wrapping up this week. So you probably expect to see a third episode weekly, at least for the next few weeks. While I give you some of my recommendations and some of the coverage of these shows, some worth watching, some not so much so. But I'll give you a roundup of all those opinions later in the week as well. So with that out of the way, here is my conversation with Sona, where we discuss last week's episodes, followed by my full breakdown, spoiler-filled, of the current week's episode, Rock and a Hard Place. All right, Sona. So I hope you enjoyed your time off away from the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Your vacation was my vacation. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. This is the most stressful part of your week. (laughs) So what did you think? Episode one and two, Better Call Saul, season six, the big final season. How'd you like these two episodes? What do you think about the direction of the show? And I love the episodes. I'm not sure I understand the reasoning of showing these first two episodes back to back. I think people have been clamoring for this show to come back. So I don't think you needed to do two episodes in order yeah. to suck us in. I legitimately felt like I was watching a movie. Like it felt endless to me. Yes, um, yes. As much as I love it, like a Monday night after a full day of work, <laughs> right. like just these hours of Better Call Saul. And I was watching with my husband, which I really enjoy doing. But then there's a lot of rewinding involved because people have been... <laughs> talking over certain parts that seem crucial. Um, so all in all, I was up until 1130 at night, which is way past my bedtime watching this. <laughs> but I did really enjoy it. I think it was a great um, kickoff to the final season. I think it really set a mood. I think on the plus side of the, having those two hours, it was a good reminder of where we left things. Although. Yep. My memory is so shaky that I probably needed some better sort of primer to catch me up. <laughs> um, so I really was piecing a lot of it together as I went. But, um, but yeah, all in all, I'm excited about it. What did you think? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. I think maybe to the point of having those two episodes, I mean, it's a very exciting climax, obviously, a lot of action there in the very final moments uh, compared to the rest of the episode, which has a lot of stuff happening in it, but doesn't really have much action. Fair. I think primarily it is, you know, like you said, there's a lot of pent up demand. Honestly, this is probably something that people could have 
consumed over the course of the entire week, just like- Well, if you have the discipline, sure. <laughs> That's what I was about to say. But of course, I did exactly the same thing. I I had this DVR, but I cannot watch my DVR remotely. I thought I could, but I could not. I was traveling. So instead, I'm watching on the AMC app. And basically, because, like you said, because these episodes were so long, especially with the commercial breaks, that I'm like desperately waiting for like episode two to become available. And then, you know, all of a sudden it pops up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it right now. So it, it's it was an immediate thing, especially on the app, which had tons of ads as well. It, I was up past past uh, midnight probably like three hours and change watching these two episodes of, <laughs> right. of show right so exactly beautifully shot too i yeah. thought uh yeah. the scenery was really great i mean so often when i've watched breaking bad or better call Saul, i think I, I haven't been to new mexico but it really uh inadvertently is doing a nice tourism campaign for new mexico i think dramatic yeah. landscapes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Arizona too. It's very strange that you know. Originally, I think that they wanted to, it when Breaking Bad. This is um, was uh, on the air that they thought it was like bad publicity. But I think it's you know in retrospect, it's become a great tourist attraction for them. I mean, I personally just love those parts of the country or of the world where you feel like you're on another planet entirely, yeah. and. Yeah. You know, those desert scenes really give you that feeling, I think. I never thought about it until you just said that. But I think that's what's interesting about the show Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, because it really does feel almost like this is happening inside these characters' minds in a way, because you have this situation where you're in contemporary times. You are adjacent to like large cities, for example. Every once in a while, they'll wander into a city. But in some ways, it's like they could be disappearing to the desert, even though they're like in this very uh, mm -hmm. you know, modern American uh, backdrop because of their actual physical location. Right. So it's, it's interesting. No, often when they show people driving, I think, my God, what happens if you have car trouble? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, how long will it take for someone else to come along to help you? I spent uh, some time in Arizona, actually, m multiple times, actually, for work. And at one point, uh, Kim was with me right before we were engaged like you mentioned, like, you know, we would go hiking on Camelback and then we would go into town and the towns have like a college area usually and, uh, you know, a, a, an actual downtown with some modern buildings, but it's a very small downtown. And then you drive towards the outskirts and then you start heading towards desert. And then, like you said, you're just driving through the desert for, you know, half an hour. And like, if your car breaks down, you're just out there with rattlesnakes, right? Exactly. So. And who knows what the cell phone signal situation is. <laughs> I mean, because uh, we've done as well, you know, a lot of Utah and Arizona, but we, you know, largely to see the parks and stuff like that. Right. So more well-traveled areas. But every now and then you would find yourself on a road where you would just feel like, my God, I am in the middle of nowhere. There is no civilization to be seen. And you just kind of cross your fingers and nothing goes wrong. Okay. So back into the episodes, I have four questions for you, maybe five. I don't know if you'll be able to answer them, but maybe we can just speculate on them. So the Very first... unlikely I'm going to be able to answer them, but let's <laughs> well, go. Some of them I think are intentionally ambiguous. So the first question I have is the Lalo's doppelganger, the one who he yes. leaves behind. What do you think is up with that? I, in my recap last week, I was speculating on this and I was saying, is this guy like a family member that looks like Lalo or is he an actual double? Like, you know, some of the... Um, who, what's, what was his name? Uh, El Chapo had a, a double. And of course, like Saddam Hussein and his sons have doubles, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. to, to kind of be decoys when they're traveling. So do you think this guy was a decoy, like, you know, in your back pocket in case, you know, just a kept man for when they need him? Or do you think this was just a guy who he knew that looked a lot like him? Uh, what do you think was going on with that? Okay. So first of all, I will say, and this is a tangent, but one of the things that is great about my husband wanting to watch this show is that <laughs> 
in a lot of ways, he is so much smarter than me and he calls <laughs> things out so much faster than my very slow mind at 10 o'clock at night on a Monday is going to be able to put things together. <laughs> I mean, in a way it's like, spoiler alert, can you just keep your mouth shut? But in other ways, it's very enlightening because Better Call Saul is a show that I often feel like I'm not sure I'm smart enough to be watching it. So... <laughs> they don't tell you everything. That's for sure. <laughs> So it's nice when it's like a team event because <laughs> we can feed off each other and put, to, put together the pieces. And as soon as the scene came where he said, like, oh, you look like ZZZ Top. And the guy goes, oh, OK, I'll go shave. Oh, but keep the, the soul patch and the goatee. That'll look good. You know, my husband was onto this immediately. What was going on, which I I mean, that just sailed right over my head. So I think that he was keeping it in his back pocket. I don't think this guy has been a decoy for him before, but I think Lalo is so 10 steps ahead that yeah. he had anticipated the idea that he could need one one day and he was going to have one ready to go when that day came and it finally did. Yeah, and the reason I think that I agree that it was someone who was in his back pocket for that specific reason, first of all, he lives right by the compound, which of course is telling. And the second part of it is he was specific to ask, how are your teeth? Which, mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like, why exactly. would, if this is just like your cousin who looks a lot like you, why would you be like, make sure you keep your teeth clean? Like, make sure you keep them And he clean. hooked him up with a dentist, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So he, he basically said he's making sure their teeth match. So that is, you know, obviously Which a pretty- insane. Right. Right. But like I said, not unheard of. This is actually very strange, but it has happened in the past. So I was curious, but I assume the same, that this wasn't just like uh, opportunity. He's like, you know what? I'm going to burn this guy up so they can't do a real good identification. And this guy just happens to look a little bit like me. I think this was all, you know, a back pocket double in case he needed one, right? Yeah, I agree. Second question I had for you was a legal question. The whole thing where, and I know you don't practice in Arizona, so laws could be slightly different. But North I'm just asking, <laughs> no, <criminal law. laughs> but just you know, in general, when he confronts the prosecutor in the hallway, and he accidentally says Lalo instead of uh, De Guzman, right? So which is very interesting. Oh yes, because they perked mm -hmm. up as soon as he said Lalo. So I think that's going to come back to bite him. But yep. when that situation happens, and he's saying. No, I'm going to come back in six weeks. You can't accelerate this. Look, the guy did what he needed to do. You guys did a bad job of investigating. That's on you. Don't blame it on me. If you bring this up in front of the judge, I'm going to accuse you of prosecutorial misconduct, uh, conduct, etc. Do you think that would fly? Like, or, would they be scared off by this, or are they going to be like, "Oh, screw him. We're going to we're going to start proceedings." Like, it probably would be enough to say. What do we really have when this guy hasn't yet officially gone missing by not showing up when he's supposed to show up? Right. I guess if they had some sort of a sort of evidence that he had fled besides not being able to find him, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe then. But I thought it was actually a pretty strong case that he set out of, you know, we agreed what we agreed. If that was your mistake at the time, you got to live with it. And until this guy doesn't show up at the date that he is supposed to be in court, you can't do much about it. Right. I feel the same way. I guess come week six, though, if Lalo decides to not come back, which is very likely. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that he could be you know, facing a heap of problems yeah. at that point, no, right? You're just putting off the problem for another time. But, <laughs> right. but that's Saul's way, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> they don't yes. have to deal with it today. Why bother? So. I'm surprised that Kim isn't more, you know, at least, you know, thinking about these things a little bit more in the back of her mind. But I guess they're happy to be alive at this point. Right. So. Yeah. And she's a complicated lady, clearly. Absolutely. Very complicated. <laughs> yes. No doubt about that. OK. The next question I had was about Gus's 
plan. Kim finally watched the second episode last night and she was so confused by all of this. And I'm like, I think it's supposed to be intentionally confusing. So the whole thing with Gus, where Gus has Mike go in, replace the safe. Oh my and- God. I had to look it up. I had to figure, <laughs> I, honestly, I had to figure out via the internet what was going on with that because at that point we're talking like in my house it was 11 o'clock at night and (laughs) i could not put the pieces together but yes go ahead sorry i got excited (laughs) (laughs) no and i say breaking bad does this as well that's why i think this is intentionally confusing that this is something very clever i actually called it out in my recap last week of saying like this is actually a tool that like screenwriters can use that they create a mystery they solve the mystery but then they leave you a much bigger mystery and in this case Mm -hmm. the mystery is what is mike doing they take the safe they take it apart. They bring in an identical safe, put everything back except for the ID, which is very important. Nacho's father's ID, which Mike pockets. Uh, that's an Mike doing that. An act of compassion there. Yeah. Exactly. That's Mike doing that off the books uh, to leave an envelope which identifies where Nacho is. Now, of course, if the cartel catches Nacho, he's the one who knows that Gus is behind all this. So Gus is pointing them at Nacho. He could have killed Nacho. He doesn't do that. He keeps them there so that he could be captured by the cartel and he leaves the clue that leads them to him. So what is Gus trying to do? Isn't this like terrible for Gus in the long run? Well, I think he had decided that Nacho was going to be the fall guy, right? Which is why you see that scene where Mike is kind of saying like, look at all he's done for you. The least you can do is get him out of this situation. And Gus is just kind of like, shrug. So, um, but how, do they, how are they going to keep his loyalty? I guess his dad, right, is the only way they can keep his loyalty, right? I think they've resigned themselves to Nacho being killed. And so it's not going to be a problem because they've got the guy in that shack watching him in the motel, right? I agree. So they want to make sure he stays there until the cartel captures him. But then they're assuming the cartel is going to kill him. What if the cartel questions him and he gives up Gus? It doesn't seem very well thought out. I agree with you that that is a possibility. And actually, just as an aside, when I said I had to internet search what was going on here, I actually meant with replacing the safe. I wasn't sharp enough to put it together, what was going on with replacing the safe. So (laughs) you're already a few steps ahead of me. (laughs) I couldn't figure out why they would bust into this safe and then replace it with an identical safe, which, you know, I did find out later was because they knew that someone was going to come looking for the safe and they didn't want to know, want them to know that someone else had been there beforehand. Exactly. Gus is very, very meticulous. And honestly, if they had just left that envelope laying around somewhere in the apartment, it would have worked just as well, theoretically. But Gus, of course, being impeccable, you know, very, very detail oriented, it has to be like no one was there. And it has to be like he was hiding this piece of information. Right. So it was very meticulous. Exactly. But, But once again, why give up Nacho? Like I said, they could make Nacho look like he died in a a bar fight somewhere, right? And just make it look like, and they'll be like, I guess we'll never know who set this thing up. Uh, or maybe he was killed by whoever sent him here, but we won't know who that is. And you know, that could still potentially lead to a drug war. So there is all that uh, possibility. But once again, having Nacho alive and having the cartel capture him means that he could open his mouth, right? And I guess the only leverage they have, I mean, it happens in this episode, right? Is that he tells Mike to bring in his father. So I guess he's like, if he doesn't say what he wa- we want him to say, we'll kill his father. And maybe he's already made this threat to him. Mm-hmm, Nacho mm-hmm. has that in the back of his mind. Uh, and of course, Mike is totally against this. He's like, that's not going to happen, uh, which is a great scene. That's like a very tense scene that plays out there. Although we know okay. they're all going to survive. I was but... <laughs> about to say a tense scene, but you could hold a gun to his head. I still know he shows up in Breaking Bad. So... Exactly. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting about this. I know some people complain, the very few complaints about this show is that there's limited suspense because you know who lives. 
but I would make the argument that the show is almost like a Columbo episode <laughs> in like, uh, you know, over its uh, uh, span that it is more of like a why or how they did it because you know you look at this and you're like how is gus still alive <laughs> and that's i'm more interested to find out like how does this all play out rather than you know does he survive because i know he survives right so that's not the interesting part yeah i agree i think they still uh managed to create plenty of tension i don't think there's any lack for the tension in the show and there are like enough characters that you still do wonder what happens to them uh, kim for example right yeah of course so that is not my complaint. I mean, I definitely, I definitely feel stressed out enough watching the show. If anything, it's a little bit comforting to know I don't have exactly. to freak out about the gun being held to Mike's head. Exactly. exactly. That's a good point. Exactly. Because if you have no idea what happens to Mike, that is a very tense moment. For me, it's yeah. a tense moment because it's just like, it's more about like a really bad relationship at work. You're like, how are these guys going to keep working together? This is a very, very uncomfortable situation. <laughs> very dysfunctional. <laughs> exactly. It's a very it's bad a office environment. On this. Exactly. Bring in HR for sure. <laughs> I agree with you that Nacho has shown he would do anything to protect his father. Right. So I think that is a huge leverage that they have over him, even more than you would have over the average person, given the history of what we've seen so far. But what a great scene with Nacho and that phone call in the shack by the motel. Oh, yeah. Great. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The tension of that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then Amazing. the murder twins show up. That's a great. Oh, those twins are so creepy. <laughs> yeah. The other great thing in the episode too, uh, I love the whole bringing the Kettlemans back. So we're coming full circle to season one with the Kettlemans. And uh, I love that, you know, once again, they're these pompous uh, people mm -hmm. who are running a new scam now. And mm -hmm. they're still like, we're in the right. And of course, Kim has absolutely no tolerance ah. for this at all. So that whole thing was great. And you see how Saul is actually a little concerned that she's becoming a little too cutthroat, even by his standards. Right. And that started happening at the end of the season last right. season, if I remember correctly, the, yeah. Yeah. the seeds were sown of that. And now you can see very clearly in those final scenes that he is actually a little bit alarmed by what Kim is capable of. Yeah, that made me think about it. And I guess this is something they want to explore in the show, but crystallize something about her uh, character that I was confused about in our previous conversation. But it's like she has really so committed to this pro bono thing and of course we even see that by the way you brought it up in our conversation like pro bono means you don't get paid and it's really funny because i had forgotten that <laughs> but you actually see saul in the uh in the previously on he goes you know pro bono means you don't get paid where's this money coming from <laughs> and now we know where the money's coming from right she thinks hey if we get that settlement from howard like she's not thinking about mm -hmm. how do i make this into a business she's like how do mm -hmm. we get paid and then she's gonna and, and it seems like she is now single-mindedly focused on that and that's it and, uh, but, and, you know, to that point, <laughs> she might burn everybody in her way. So that, you know, she could, that could be a problem for her and Jimmy as well. Very funny, though, this cocaine slub plot, right? <laughs> yes, yes. The whole setup. I like how to say it's just such a silly thing. It's, you know, it's almost like something that maybe a lawyer would come up with where it's like, you know, it's a little, she even says it at one point, because this too subtle. You think it's too subtle? Like they just like leave a, a bag of baby powder and then just start a rumor spreading around. It's like, well, maybe it'll work though. Oh, and that leads me to the next uh, mystery that I thought that the show leaves us with is who is following Kim around or, you know, it may, is it Saul? It could be either Saul or Kim, right? That car follows them at the end of the episode. If you had to guess, who do you think is tracking them? You know, I hadn't given much thought to that at all. Hmm. I really don't have a guess. What do you think? 
I don't know either. Someone I from have... Mesa Verde Bank? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly think there's so many possible candidates. It could be someone that Saul wrong. That could be like, for example, like you're right. It could be like someone from Mesa Verde Bank. It could be the prosecutors, you know, following, you know, one of the investigators mm, prosecuting mm-hmm. to see if they can find, catch him doing something shady so they can start proceedings against them again. It could be one of Lalo's guys. It's not Lalo, right? Lalo heads back to Mexico. He's not going over the border. But it could be like one of Lalo's people. But I don't think yeah, Lalo, Lalo wants has any... people everywhere. But I don't think Lalo wants anyone to know he's alive right now, right? I think he thinks he feels since until he knows what's going on, he wants to Fair point. stay undercover. I mean, that's why he faked his death, right? Right. And, Although um, you know, Hector kind of gave him away somehow, right? That's interesting that he intentionally, very much so, is cluing in to Gus that Lalo's alive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but of course, nobody else believes it because, you know, they, they, uh, they're they going to go with the evidence that they they found. Although right. uh, Gus is smart to be skeptical, by the way. Mike says it is possible that, you know, those mercenaries could have gone in there and every single one of them is accounted for. But yet, uh, you know, supposedly the mission was successful. But Gus is like, I don't buy that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> how, how did if the, how did he how did he radio? And, yeah, he radioed in the successful mission, and then like it's possible, right? There could have been somebody left in the house that shot him or Bleeding something. Bleeding out, right? it could and, be, yeah. But it's like, um, hey, but I don't know. <laughs> Sounds sketchy to me. <laughs> Nacho, by the way, is like you know he must go to his CrossFit training every day. He's got incredible cardio. <laughs> he's like jumping <laughs> from <laughs> he's jumping from floor to floor. He's jumping from roof to roof. The past last season, this. Yes, that was so impressive. He did all his Batman training for sure. But how did he put up with those two annoying girls? I don't understand that. I mean, we only met them last season, right? And and, and we, I think this is only the second time they've ever been in an episode. But holy cow, can you imagine being like, he seems to not be a user. Can you imagine being surrounded by like meth heads? Like, holy cow. Like, if you think it's bad to be sober... If you're the designated driver at a party where people are drinking too much, could you imagine being the designated driver when everybody's high on meth? <laughs> Holy cow. I mean, given like the one seemed okay, but that other yes. one, a I would blame them for shooting her right there. She was so annoying. <laughs> yes. Agreed. Holy cow. Let's see. What else happened? Kim's ponytail is longer. I noticed that. <laughs> the hair keeps growing. It's been two years. So yes. <laughs> Not in the show, though. The show hasn't been that long. What did you think about the opening? Oh, yeah. That's the thing we should definitely talk about. Just so you know, you probably don't know this, that Peter Gould and Vince, Vince Gilligan, yeah, that they gave an interview last year when they were in production of the show. And someone says, hey, what's, you know, everybody wants to know what happens to Kim? What happens to Kim? In that interview, Vince Gilligan said specifically, is hmm, he didn't want to give away anything. So he goes, follow the tequila top, is what he said. Really? Yeah. So interesting. So of course now it's brought attention to the tequila top. And then here we see it in this opening sequence, right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about it, and I mentioned this in the last recap also, if people haven't caught up on that, I kind of do a five minute breakdown of what I think this thing could symbolically mean. But in general, I think it means this is the duality of Kim, right? This is the tequila top that she gets when they pretend to be those siblings that have inherited the money. Giselle, yes. Exactly, Giselle, right. And this Mm -hmm. is where they, she got that top and she keeps going back to it. Like multiple times, Jimmy's given it her as like a peace offering. And then when she clears out her desk, she goes back for it again. That's the last thing she Mm -hmm. forgot in her desk. So that thing's been following her around. But now, very importantly, she doesn't have it, right? It's inside of Mm -hmm. Jimmy's desk when his place is being cleared out. So what happened to her? Why is it there? Were they still living together or is she out of the picture? You know, obviously that's ambiguous, but I do think it's interesting that this is the first thing we see. It's always 
important to think about what they show you first when you're watching a movie or reading a book or whatever. There's some, usually something important that they present first to you, so they'll come back to it later. You know, here we are again, this symbol of Kim, and uh, I think that's what the season's going to be. Is like, you know, <laughs> Kim's soul is in the balance <laughs> for this season, basically. And maybe her life, maybe her life too. Yeah, it had a very foreboding feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, so that maybe is the last thing I was wanted to ask you is what do you think is happening in that opening segment? Do you think that are those are movers? Do you think those are investigators? Do you think that is a seizure by the IRS? Interesting. Yeah, I guess I felt like inferred. Jimmy is living his Cinnabon life, <laughs> right. having Cinnabon. been taken care of by the vacuum cleaner man. And now all <laughs> of this has just been left to fall into default or non-payment or whatever, and some sort of, whether it be the IRS or the property manager, or I don't know, has come to clear it out. One thing is clear that he has made a huge upgrade to his life, obviously, between the, yes where they are now, now living salon. in an apartment <laughs> <laughs> and he's living in his giant mansion. And I assume, by the way, I think you're going to probably agree with this. I assume that when we have the break in the season, we're going to do a time jump because I don't think we can go in five weeks. Like, you know, this, this show doesn't move that quickly. Maybe it, in five weeks, we'll move a month forward in time. Yes, maybe, it maybe inches, little... absolutely. <laughs> and I can't imagine that they're going to be like one month later, he's like, he's living in a $15 million house. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I assume we're jumping forward. And by the way, I don't know if this is a spoiler for you, but they've already announced that uh, Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston will be in the show this year. I heard that. Yes, yeah. I heard that. So we will be, I think, jumping forward into the Breaking Bad time frame. Yes. So making the total connection between those two time periods. Yeah, so that'll be fun to watch in the second half of the season. But in this first half, I think we're going to try to solve these mysteries that we kind of laid out already of this. Uh, you know, what is going to happen to Nacho? Is he going to talk or not? How is Gus going to get out of this situation? Will Mike be able to save Nacho's father? What's going to happen? You know, will Lalo come back? How, you know, will Kim survive? Obviously, but I don't know if that'll be resolved until later in the show or whether that gets wrapped up somewhere in the first half. But yeah, I think those are all the things we have to look forward to in the next uh, four more episodes, I guess, before they have the break. So, Oh, only four more. Okay. Maybe five. It could be seven and then six. I think it's seven and then six. So we get mm. tonight, we'll get three, and then we'll have four more after that. So one month tonight, and then one month from tonight will be the finale of this half, this first half. And then we'll have a break. Great. Yeah. Lalo is dead. <sighs> Holy shit. The DA's office put it together that Lalo was calling himself de Guzman. They are pretty upset they let him go. I'll bet they are. Erickson seems to think that if Lalo lied to you and you didn't know about the pseudonym that you could break confidentiality. She wants you to talk. She says it's right. Well, what do you think we should do? You should do whatever you want to me. They don't have anything on you. It's just a fishing expedition to see if you bite. You think I should do it? It depends. On what? Well, I guess it's basically, do you want to be a friend of the cartel or do you want to be a rat? So rock in a hard place. We have come to decision points for multiple characters this week. 
One of them, unfortunately, the end of the line for one of our favorite characters. But he goes down on his own terms. And there's something honorable in that in and of itself. So the episode opens, this beautiful, rustic, desert locale. The camera is panning over this dried vegetation in the desert. And we settle on a blue desert flower. No kind of flower this is. And a broken bottle. And suddenly it starts to rain and we hear the sound of the, wa- the water on the glass. And what this turns out to be is a little memorial. And we will circle back to this. This is something that we've seen previously with Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad episodes, where we kind of see the outcome of the episode in the first moments, and we circle back to it by the end. So after the credits, we see Nacho is in his broken down car. It's been shot up. The tire's been shot out. And honestly, I had predicted that he was caught. There's really no way out of this. You have to assume they are hot on his heels, but he notices an abandoned oil tank. First, he's going to make a last stand here in the middle of the street, but instead starts to sprint through the bushes and eventually descends into the oil tank. This is probably not a great plan, by the way, because there's really no place to hide. So, of course, they're going to check out that oil tank. But there is a little bit of oil at the bottom of that oil tank. And our Batman hero here, Nacho, is able to submerge himself in the oil, hold his breath long enough to hide from one of the murder twins. Cardio matters, folks. (laughs) He's able to hold his breath long enough, able to just keep walking and hiking and running for his life for multiple days. He spends the night there, by the way. We have a beautiful time lapse. And that night he emerges and starts to trek back out again. Eventually finds a garage with a hose outside. And actually a very kindly mechanic lets him use the, the hose and the phone. Nacho offers him money and he turns it down. First call Nacho makes is to his dad. And this is a very sweet scene. The dad basically tells him there's nothing else to talk about. You really just have to go to the police. And poor Nacho. He can't even tell his dad endangered his life, basically, his father's life. And there's really no way to reconcile even at this moment. And you just see the pain on his face. Great performance here across the board for this entire episode, but great performance by Michael Mando playing Nacho. Second call is to Mike. And we circle back to episode two, where we see the Mexican standoff, no pun intended, between Mike and Tyrus. And Gus, of course, is there. Nacho chews out Mike, saying, you knew you sent me down here to die at that hotel. You knew that what the plan was. And Mike just says, it wasn't my call. And then hands the phone over to Gus. Nacho blackmails Gus and basically says, if I open my mouth, you are going to die. And even if I die, the stink of this is going to be all over you. You're still going to be the prime suspect, at least to Hector. But he makes an offer. He says, I will die. I'll do what I need to do. But you have to protect my dad. And I don't have to hear it from you. I have to hear it from Mike. Mike promises him and says, anybody who goes after your dad will have to go through me. Meanwhile, Saul has basically storyboarded out the timeline for the Howard scam as if it's a movie plot. And he's moving the cards around. <laughs> they make sure the events line up for the time frame they have left. And we don't know why, but they do need Howard's car or a car that looks like Howard's car. And at first Saul goes, well, maybe we won't be able to do this, but you know what? I got a solution. I figured it out. There's a way we can get the actual car. We don't have to make a car that looks like it. We'll take the actual car. And this gets uh, Kim all worked up. I think she's late for work. So she definitely gets turned on. I mean, we've known this before, but she this is the prime, maybe the prime attraction she has to Jimmy. She does eventually get to the courthouse. And she's so honest that during Discovery, she found out about a misdemeanor that her client had in another state. And she offers it to the prosecutor. And the prosecutor goes, why would you do this? We would have never found this. And she says, I'm going to beat you on the merits of the case. Now, this comes off as a little naive to me, considering Kim should know. I mean, definitely knows how the world works at this point. (laughs) But actually, this turns out to be 
a good move on her part because the prosecutor actually takes her aside and says, look, we looked into this de Guzman character. We know who he is. It's suspicious that Jimmy has now defended multiple criminals in this same cartel. And Kim says, are you guys building a case against him? They say, we aren't yet. And she's like, yet? What does that mean? But she does give Kim some good news here. The reason they know about this Lalo character is that Lalo is dead, or though they, or so they think. That's what the Federales have, have told them. And they say they still need Jimmy to come in and tell them what he knows, because they don't think he's a really bad guy, or at least that's what they're telling him. They think that Jimmy was just duped, and then he was in way over his head, and he was scared. But they'll protect him if he, he's honest with them and tells them what he knows. They're looking for accomplices and other other cartel members that they can take down based on this evidence. Look, we had a monster in custody. We just let him walk right out of jail. We failed. The whole system just failed. This guy killed a 22-year-old kid, dead in cold blood. It's wrong. You know it's wrong. And I think Jimmy does too. So. I'm sorry? He practices now under the name Saul Goodman. Although I distinctly remember you referring to him as a scumbag. Uh, I admit I have had my problems with Saul. That's true. But I also believe underneath it all, underneath all of his showiness, he's a lawyer and a human being. And I think he knows what's right. And I think that's true. I actually think that's true of Jimmy at this moment. We found out, I guess, that Nacho had been in touch with Mike after that preliminary conversation with Gus, and they have smuggled him out of Mexico. Mike feeds Gus and lets him get dressed up and showered up. Gus, however, thinks that Nacho is looking too pretty. And indeed, he looks pretty. <laughs> he does look pretty at this moment. So someone's got to beat him up. Mike is annoyed by this, but it says, okay, I will do it. No one else is doing it except for me. But first, they have a drink. The next thing we see is the plan. Howard's car. Huel picks the valet's pocket, takes the keys, and in the back of the van, they have a key-making machine, and they quickly tool a key and place Howard's original keys under the car, as if he, the valet had just dropped it when he hopped out of the car. This is actually very funny. They make a key with this Arduino-like uh, computer attached to it <laughs> to function as the uh, the door lock unlock. And then Hugh has a very interesting conversation with, with Jimmy. Can I ask you something? Sure, go ahead. Personal, kind Okay, what? You're a lawyer. You make good money, right? Good days and bad, but yeah. Legit money on the level. Yeah, so? Your wife's a lawyer? A legit lawyer? Yeah. Why you do all this? Oh, <laughs> I got you. I, I know from the outside this looks like just another scam, but you're not seeing the bigger picture. A couple months from now, there are people whose lives are going to be way better because of this. Uh, we're making a real difference. Trust me. We're doing the Lord's work here. If you say so. Jimmy comes home and he's happy to have pulled off the little con. And Kim gives Saul the whole lowdown. Lalo's dead. Once again, that's what they believe. The prosecutor wants to work with Jimmy. And he asks her, what do you think I should do? And she says, it depends on what you want. Do you want to be a friend of the cartel or a rat? 
Gus comes to look at Nacho, see how he looks after the beating he's taken from Mike. And he looks pretty bad. And they ask him what will be his story. Then he says it's going to be Alvarez from Peru. I guess it's their Peruvian cartel competition. Paid him to take out Lalo. And they tell him after making the confession that he's going to try to make a run for it. And Victor, Gus's one of his muscle, will take him out. So it'll be a quick death. And now we arrive back at that moment we were at, at the beginning of the episode. In the desert, at this shack that we've seen previously. We've been at this shack multiple times, starting in Breaking Bad and now in Better Call Saul. As a matter of fact, we see that Mike has pressured Gus into saying, you have to let me come. This thing could go wrong in so many ways. And they're like, they've seen you before. You can't come with me. And he goes, well, I don't have to be there. I just have to be nearby to make sure nothing goes wrong. So he takes his same position on the peak overlooking the shack where he was, I believe, in season two, where he almost took out Hector Salamanca. And now here he is again, targeting the same shack. Nacho's beat up. He has his ties on. Bolsa threatens Nacho, basically says, you need to tell me what you know. You can have a good death or a bad death. And we see, as they say this, some implements of torture. So (laughs) there could be a very, very bad death here. And then Nacho gives a truly great performance here, a really, really great scene here at the end. And he says exactly as he had planned to, that this is going to be, it was Alvarez who did this. Hector is not convinced. Hector wants to know if the chicken man had anything to do with this. Was there anybody else involved? And this is where the rubber hits the road. Can Nacho pull off this performance? And boy, does he ever sell this. Not only did I do all this to you, not only did I love killing Lalo, not only did I want to kill all of you, Hector, the reason you are crippled, I did that to you. And the chicken man saved your life. You'd be dead. Was anyone else involved? Him? You think the chicken man? (laughs) What a joke. Alvarez has been paying me for years. Years, but you know what? I would have done it for free because I hate every last one of you. Psycho sacks of shit. I opened Lalo's gate and I would do it again and I'm glad what they did to him. He's a soulless pig and I wish I killed him with my own hands. And you know what else, Hector? I put you in that chair. Oh yeah, your heart meds. I switched them for sugar pills. You were dead and buried and I had to watch this asshole bring you back. So when you are sitting in your shitty nursing home and you're sucking down on your jello night after night for the rest of your life, you think of me, you twisted fuck. What a great job Nacho did here. And even better than that, he has somehow either picked up a piece of glass that he had pocketed the whole entire time or found it here in the sand. He's cut through his ties. He springs up. All that CrossFit training has paid off (laughs) yet again grabs Bolsa by the neck, pulls out his gun, and basically threatens to kill Bolsa. But there's still no way out. Killing Bolsa just gets him killed anyway. So instead, he shoots himself in the head, takes himself out, guaranteeing that he won't be tortured, guaranteeing that he won't talk, and guaranteeing that he makes a decision on how he goes out. So he goes out on his own terms. Very sad to see this character go away. Very sad to see this actor go away. But I'm sure there'll be great things for him as an actor later. And by the way, side note, Saul never finds out that he died because he actually suspects that he might have been responsible for that kidnapping by Walt and Jesse back in the Better Call Saul episode of Breaking Bad. And that's where we leave things. Hector gets carried over 
by the murder twins to impotently shoot bullets into Nacho's body. And we see Mike pack up his gun. Gus seems a little rattled here, but walks steadily back to the car. And Mike has a look on his face, just a little moment of respect for a fallen soldier. And there we go. That's the end of the episode. So what did I think of this? This is a great episode of TV. Great way for Nacho to go out. He had to die eventually, I believe, given the circumstance. And he gets to go out on his own terms. And as I touched on a couple episodes ago, when I was trying to put my finger on what are the themes of this show? What is this show trying to say? That all these characters over the course of their lives have had, had to make compromises and then have to live by those compromises. Sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're bad guys, but it's very hard to live with any kind of code of honor. And Nacho did try to live that way. And he died that way too. And he protects his dad. So in the end, he's probably one of the most honorable people on this show, believe it or not. And that opening sequence with the blue flower, I think was just his memorial, a memorial to Nacho. What do we expect in the near future? Who's following Kim? She starts to notice someone's following her. What's happening with the Howard plan? Why do they need his car? What's the next phase of this? What's the fallout from Nacho dying? Does this get Hector off his back? Does this make Hector look like a crazy person to the rest of the cartel and alienate them from Hector? That remains to be seen. When do Walt and Jesse show up? Remains to be seen as well. Oh, and what's Lalo up to? What is Lalo up to? He wants evidence. Evidence that the chicken man did this. Does he have it? It's not Nacho. All right, so that is episode three. We have four more before the break. If you still want a little more content, by the way, I will have a little more of my conversation with Sona. We reviewed... Russian Doll. Spoiler-free, very short review of Russian Doll. And we just have a general conversation complaining that movies are way too long now, specifically the Batman movie, which just played on HBO. And if you are watching that or have watched it, check out my review of that in this same feed. Spoiler-filled, by the way, so definitely check that out only after you've seen the movie. I hope you enjoy the rest of that little bit of conversation. And tune in for the rest of the week. Check out our conversation about Moon Knight, plus a new show we'll be covering, Nick and I, We Own This City on HBO. Also later in the week, I'll be having a conversation about the return of Barry after three years. Excellent first episode of that show, also HBO, plus a slew of other things that are coming on. If you haven't checked out our coverage of Ozark, the finale, the finale of Ozark is coming on Friday. And I'm going to try to watch at least a couple of those episodes. And I will try to discuss them with Sona next week when I have my conversation with her. And that'll all be in this feed, probably in this next Better Call Saul episode. There's a lot of shared DNA between Better Call Saul and Ozark. So seems apropos to drop it here. So keep your ears peeled for all of that. And if you subscribe, you'll know when those episodes become available. Talk to you soon. Do you watch Barry? Did you used to watch Barry? No, I've heard so many good things about it, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, I'll probably be doing a separate recap of that. I have to do just like maybe a third episode temporarily to just catch up on this constant onslaught <laughs> of I know, new shows. too much, man, too much. And Ozark is coming back this Friday. It's yes. nuts. Like, it's just crazy. And, uh, and you know, your flight attendant is back. Yes, it is. And Russian Doll was back, which I watched. I didn't like it that much. It was okay. It was fine. You know, I think a lot of what kept me going is I do love watching things where the city is a character uh, and Fresh and Doll definitely fits that bill, but the device of it was not so fascinating to me. No, so, you know, definitely not to carry me through to another season. I don't know if they're going to be using that same device or not, but. I feel the same way. I felt that with Rush and Doll that, you know, I loved the first season and what happened with the first season is I kind of got annoyed with her as a character about halfway through 
but then they kind of used her annoying selfishness as a device because all of a sudden then she had to rescue somebody else and like now suddenly she had to kind of overcome all her limitations to be a better person and then you know i thought the payoff at the end was beautiful so that really made me a huge fan of season one for this one i felt like there was just her being a mess the whole entire time and i think we're just supposed to love her for being this lovable mess but she's kind of annoying to me <laughs> over time like it's just a long time for her to be in that mode without any kind of correction or or forward movement yeah and then you know the, we do get it but i feel like all of that stuff the ending by the way also strong finale final episode but i felt like it was unearned this time because it just felt like you know she's just a mess doing whatever they're traveling all over the world randomly for really very little dramatic payoff and then she all comes like comes full circle she you know kind of comes to that acceptance in the last episode. And I'm like, okay, that just feels like they just kind of tacked that on. I, I, it just didn't really work for me this time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I feel the same way. It was like mildly entertaining, but I'm not in for season three for sure. So. Right. Oh, but as far as Barry goes, episode one from last night was great. Uh, so that's going to be fun to follow this season. And I would recommend it to you. I mean, it's 30 minute episodes and uh, you know, there's two, you're two seasons behind, but uh, right. you know, maybe something you can catch up on over the course of the next, uh, I guess it's eight episodes. So I guess you get eight weeks to catch up on it if you want to watch. I'm so amazed by this, by the way, watching the episode last night. It is 30 minutes long. It feels like you just watched a one hour show. Like they really pack mm -hmm. in everything <laughs> to this mm -hmm. 30 minutes, which I love, by the way, that, you know, like I, we need more, <laughs> you know, we don't need more one hour, nine minute episodes. We need more 30 minute episodes of TV. Agree. <laughs> agree. And I don't even get me started on movie length. It's ridiculous. <laughs> right. It's, spiraled out of control completely the three hour batman movie which including trailers and everything is four hours long it's just too much too. it was one thing when a movie like gandhi or something was that long <laughs> right. but a superhero movie does not need to be that long <laughs> oh my god they're all like comedies now like you know like the lost city and stuff are like two hours and 15 minutes or something you're like what what is happening <laughs> insane <laughs> you should be like you know a, a serious movie like with a lot of stuff to cover two hours two hours and change and like a, a light comedy or something, one and a half hours. That's it. Just Ninety like minutes. Yeah. In and out. In and out. <laughs> exactly. Even the get kids' in, movies, get like out, move on with your day. Yes. <laughs> even like kids' movies, like Toy Story, is like a total classic. Charlotte still watches it, and is like an hour and fifteen minutes long. And now, like all those Pixar movies are like two hours long. It's like we don't need a two-hour Pixar movie. I mean, I love so the Pixar unnecessary movies. for a children's movie. I agree. It's it's ridiculous. And like, yeah. what are you asking of kids? <laughs> <laughs> the attention span. <laughs> yes. Come on. Let's be practical. They're all two hours long, though. We saw the first uh, Sonic movie. Charlotte's a big fan of Sonic. And we saw the first one. And it's a, like an hour and 45 minutes. And they introduce the character. And there's like this whole, before the villain even shows up, there's this whole bonding between Sonic and James Marsden. Yeah. Yeah. No, not James, not James Marsden. But I think there is a guy from New Girl in this as well. Yes, there is. Yeah, I think it's the, one of yeah. the deputies. Yeah, exactly. Right. But James, gotcha. yes, I, I just watched this a few weeks ago. I blocked it out until just now. Yeah. <laughs> Understand, understandable, understandable. And uh, even with all that, it's like an hour and 45 minutes and it's a little flabby. I did not see the second one. Kim took Charlotte to see the second one. When I, I was in the God theater, bless. I was in the movie mm -hmm. theater, but I was not there watching that movie. I was watching uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was amazing. One of the greatest films. I've heard that's very good. It's incredible. But uh, that's what I was doing, watching one of the best movies I've seen in years, <laughs> which is just a little over two hours, <laughs> the correct amount of time. And um, uh, meanwhile, also two hours and 15 minutes long, the same length of time is the new Sonic movie. The new Sonic <laughs> movie is two movie. hours and 15 minutes The cartoon minutes long. hedgehog movie, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
I can't imagine what two hours and 15 minutes of that was like. It must have been very tedious. I can only imagine Kim must have been wanting to tear her eyes out. She must have like put herself into a meditative state. <laughs> exactly. It'll be over <laughs> soon. It'll be over soon. Just breathe, breathe through it. Breathe through it. It's like, it'll be like childbirth. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There's only one episode this week, so that'll be much easier. <laughs> Fantastic. Is it at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock? Nine. Yeah. Nine. Okay. So uh, yeah. So nine to 10. All right. Thanks for the conversation. I will talk Thank to you soon. Thank you. Great. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.